Well, uh, both my oldest kids right now are doing track, all right? Anyone do track when they were in school or doing track? Yeah, man, so, so we're getting our dose of track practice right now in track meets, and it's a lot of fun. So I'm seeing lots of pole vaulting and discus throwing and shot putting and running and running and running and running. And uh, it's, it's exciting to watch all the events, and it's just commendable to see all of uh, the athletes giving their best to all the events they're doing. But one track event I've always been very intrigued by and admired greatly has been the hurdles, right? Some of you guys saw this earlier, the hurdles. Now, hurdles are fascinating because it's already hard enough to run the track as it is, right? Give it your all, beat the people next to you. But when you've got to jump over stuff on the way around, that's like a whole nother level. And so, and, and I don't know about you, but I like watching the hurdles but uh, there's both this like admiration for the extra effort and there's a little bit of anxiety because inevitably somebody's going to hit one, right, and fall down. And you're just kind of like, oh, you know, you don't want to see anybody wipe out, but it's inevitable. So the, the hurdles are a fascinating event. And when you think about hurdles, I want to talk about one specific hurdle that we see take place, one hurdle put up when it comes to Christianity. And it's the hurdle of hypocrisy. So we've been in this uh, big question series. Think about some of the biggest questions that uh, take place with God and Christianity. And there's a difference between the hurdle of hypocrisy and some of the other topics we've talked about. Uh, we've talked about um, you know, why we believe in the resurrection. Why do we believe in the Bible? Why do we believe that God is good even though there's suffering evil? Uh, why do we believe that uh, faith and science are actually friends, not enemies? And all those tend to be very intellectual in nature. Let's roll up our sleeves, let's do some homework, let's do some reading, let's do some study, let's look at some archaeology, let's look at history. But the difference about the hurdle of hypocrisy is it's not so much an intellectual barrier, it's an emotional barrier. It's an emotional barrier for people to consider the claims of Christ because it cuts deep. Because the reality is all of us have hurt people with our hypocrisy. And all of us have been hurt by people with their hypocrisy. And so it's something that's universal. I just was curious, you know, a couple days ago, I just threw it out on social media. I said, hey, what saddens you and angers you about hypocrisy? And in less than 24 hours, I had like 75 comments. And people just talking about, you know, the judgmental attitudes and the sin and the immorality and just the, the duplicity of, you know, doing this and saying that and doing something different. And it, it just hit a nerve. Why? Because it's an emotional barrier. It's an emotional hurdle that we have to engage and we have to look at. And so as we think about uh, the big barriers to Christianity, this is one that we can't dodge, and it's one that's often asked about. And the way that question usually comes out is, doesn't the hypocrisy of Christianity and of Christians discredit or disprove Christianity? You know, j just because Christians are hypocritical, does that mean now I can dismiss Christianity? And of course, the answer is no. It doesn't disprove Christianity, but yes, it does put up a hurdle. And so we don't want hypocrisy putting up a hurdle from people coming to Christ. We don't want people who need to know about the love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness that's offered from God through faith in Christ to be blocked by lives of hypocrisy. It becomes an emotional hurdle, and we want to hit that head on. And when it comes to hypocrisy, there's a few different things we need to just clear on the front end. One is, we just have to admit it. We have to admit that it's real and it's wrong. Yes, for centuries, people have done terrible things under the banner of Christianity. People have done terrible things, even though they named the name of Jesus. And so for those who are 
resistant to Christianity because of hypocrisy, we say, we admit it, it's there. And we agree with you. We agree with you that it's wrong. And we agree with you that it's something that shouldn't have or shouldn't actually take place. And then we also need to apologize for it. I don't think there's anything wrong with apologizing on the macro level, on the global level, for all the things done under the name of Christianity that have contributed to great harm in society and in people's lives. And we need to say that's not what God's heart is. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so on behalf of all those who've done that, we're, we're sorry. And then we also need to uh, apologize for any damage done with our personal hypocrisy. If anything that we do personally hurts other people, we need to apologize for that. I'm sorry for what I did or what I said and how that actually puts up a barrier from you knowing Christ. And then we need to advocate for it. We need to advocate against hypocrisy and say it shouldn't take place and we're not for it. That's what Jesus did. Jesus advocated against hypocrisy. When you study the life of Jesus and you look at all his teachings, there are many places where, you know, you hear about like, oh, Jesus loves me, this I know, all true. And then there's other places in the Bible you go, Jesus said what? You know? And those harshest words Jesus reserved for the hypocrites, the religious elite who lived with duplicity. And so there's no doubt about it, we have to hit this head on. And a lot of times, you just can't blame people for looking at Christianity and saying, I don't want to be a Christian because the church is full of hypocrites. And I don't want to be a Christian if a Christian's like that. But here's the rude awakening for all of us. We're all like that. We're all hypocritical. We all subscribe to some moral standard, some moral level, and we don't hit the mark or we point our fingers at others who don't hit the mark while we're not hitting the mark. And so we're all hypocritical. So yes, the church is full of hypocrites. You know why? Because the world is full of hypocrites. But here's the distinction, and here's why Christians and how Christians interface with this whole hypocrisy thing. When you understand the teachings of Jesus, when you understand why he died on the cross, why he rose from the grave, what we basically understand about Christianity is, thank God I'm no longer who I was, And thank God he's still making me into who he wants me to be. And so we know with hypocrisy that there's still going to be failures in our life, but there's a lot few failures now than there used to be. We're all hypocrites. I'm a hypocrite. Chad Allen has said things I shouldn't have said, done things I shouldn't have done, thought things I shouldn't have thought. And it's displeasing to God and has probably put up barriers in people's lives um, over the course of my life. And so we need to admit that and confess that and resolve that. But all of us have hypocrisy. And we all have to realize we contribute to the hypocritical ethos that's known as humanity. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He's an author and theologian. He said, this year or this month, or more likely this very day, we have failed to practice ourselves the kind of behavior we expect from other people. We all stink. It just is, how bad do you stink, you know? And what can we do about it? Well, what we can do about it is come to Christ because Jesus saves us from who we were and he's still making us. He's not done. He's still making us in who he wants us to be. But if we really want to clear this hurdle, if we really want to clear the hurdle of hypocrisy, the voice that matters most is the voice of Jesus. Because everybody's got opinions and everybody's got things to say about hypocrisy. But if you want to know about what Christianity really teaches it, then you got to go to the Christ in Christian. You've got to go to the Christ in Christianity. What did Jesus say about hypocrisy? And again, he wasn't a fan. Hypocrisy was a stench to Jesus, and he addressed it 
in very aggressive ways. And I want to invite you into one of those moments. And it's found in your Bible in the book of Matthew chapter 23. So open up your Bibles or fire up your Bible apps on your devices to Matthew chapter 23. Now I encourage you to prayerfully and carefully read through and look through Matthew 23 at some point. I only have time to zoom in to a couple little chunks and unpack them a little bit on this issue of hypocrisy. And what I want to focus on today is how we, both believers and unbelievers, can clear the hurdle of hypocrisy in our lives. And the first way we can clear the hurdle of hypocrisy is by focusing more on the message than the messengers. You've got to focus more on the message than the messengers. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. So yet again, we see Jesus, as usual, in a massive crowd. Let's dissect the crowd for a second. We've got disciples, and not just the twelve, right? There's probably a larger group of people who now have faith in Jesus, They believe he's the Messiah, God's chosen one, his anointed one to save uh, them from their sins. So you've got this group of disciples that love the Lord, they're saved, they're placing their faith in Jesus. Then you've got the scribes and the Pharisees. And these were pretentious, legalistic, religious, you know, elitist. And they knew everything that God had said, they just weren't practicing, all right? And so when you look at the scribes, look at the Pharisees, they were experts in God's word of the time. They didn't have the whole Bible like we do. They just had the Old Testament because God was still finishing the rest that he was going to give to us, right? So they were experts in what God had said to Moses. They had written down and they taught the people. And so they were experts, but they were not believers. They were not saved. And then you've got this massive crowd. Some of them believers, some of them Pharisees and scribes. And then you've got a lot of people that are still to be determined. They're still trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. And every time we gather, you pretty much have the same grouping. you got faithful disciples, people who love Jesus. They, they believe in Jesus and his death on the resurrection for forgiveness of sins and heaven and forgiveness and new life in Christ. And then you've got some folks who, unfortunately, are still thinking religiously. If I just go to church, if I just do good things, if I just subscribe to these rules, if I just do this religious behavior, then I'm good with God. The problem is, that's not how God made a way for us to be good with him. It's only through the death and resurrection of Jesus and placing our faith on that that we can make it good. And so you got some of us are still subscribing to religious activity, and, and you know we, we, we can preach it, but we don't practice it because we don't know the one who gave it to us. And then you still have got people in the crowd, people still trying to figure out what they're going to do with this Jesus they're hearing about. And what's amazing about this moment is this is what uh, we would call one of those awkward conversations. Have you ever been with some people who are talking about you like you're not there? And you're like, uh, right here, you know? Here's Jesus, big crowd, and he's talking about the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees while the scribes and Pharisees are present. So you wonder if they're not sitting there going like, hey, we know you're talking about us. To which Jesus is going, yes, I am. <laughs> And so he's talking about, talking against hypocrisy, and he's pointing to the scribes and the Pharisees in the group as exhibit A. These are the people I'm talking about. So it's a little bit of that awkward conversation. And here's what he he says to them. Look again at verse 2. He says about the scribes and Pharisees that they sit on Moses' seat. This is a reference to their role and authority. They are experts in God's word. They teach God's word. They know God's word. And so they can unpack it and bring it to the people. And in verse 3, Jesus says, do what they tell you. 
when they read from or quote from the word of God for your instruction, for you to listen to, act upon it. Because the message they bring is actually on target. The message is good. It's reliable. God's word is flawless. And so when they're preaching in, you know, God's word, listen to the instruction and do the instruction. And then here's where he says something different, right, in verse 3. But don't do what they do. Now the disconnect. The messengers preach it, but they don't practice it. And Jesus was saying, don't imitate them. Now, although what they're saying is on target, their very life is confusing you. It's putting up a hurdle that now you have to get over And so it's no wonder that people look at us today and see the same thing. Like, okay, you're talking about what you hear in the Bible, and that's good, and maybe I actually kind of like the Jesus that you're talking about in the Bible. I just don't like how you're living it out. So I'm going to reject what you're saying. I'm going to reject the message because I'm not a big fan of the messenger. The problem is that really wouldn't work well for us if we were to apply that type of thinking in a lot of other areas of life. For example, the dentist, all right? Your dentist is going to tell you, you need to brush, you need to flush, you need to come in for an annual checkup, we've got to take care of some dental hygiene. They're telling you that. If you looked at your dentist and their teeth were nasty, they were yellow, and they needed to have like at least four or five packages of mints because, woo, you know, we wouldn't sit in that moment and go, you know what, they're telling me I need to brush and flush, but obviously it doesn't work for them, so I'm not going to brush and floss either. I'm not going to come in for it. We wouldn't do that because next thing you know, we're going to have a nasty mouth just like they do. Okay, so the information that this gives you is right on target, even if they were not applied themselves. This is kind of what we need to understand with Christianity. Just because the messengers are flawed and off base doesn't actually discredit the messenger. Think about it this way. God is good even when his children aren't. You've got to focus on Jesus who's perfect, not his followers who are not. Jesus is faithful even when his followers are not. Christ is the standard, not professing Christians. And the message of Jesus is flawless, even though the messengers are flawed. And so we have to come to that understanding of Christianity. Now, there's an important distinction here too. The Pharisees were hypocrites, and they hadn't been saved yet from who they were. They can't say, man, thank God I'm not who I was, and yet God's still making me who I'm going to be. They're they're not in that frame of mind. Even though they're in proximity to God's word, despite their knowledge of God and his word, they're still not in a place where they themselves know the Lord. And so if you were to look at verses verses 5, 6, 7, 8 and beyond, Jesus is pointing out how their selfishness, their inconsistency, their pride, and their dedication to religious activity uh, are all hurdles that now are being put up for those who are really interested in believing in the Lord. And one reason to make this distinction between the Pharisees and the disciples is that, again, the disciples are saved and the Pharisees aren't. And what happens is sometimes in this world, people look at hypocrites that say they're Christians, but they may not actually be. This was the issue with the Pharisees. Look at verse 13. Look what Jesus says to them in verse 13 of Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter who would enter to go in. Jesus is saying your religious life, your religious rules, your prejudices, your pride, all the ways that you make small things somehow seem big to God, and the things that are big to God seem small. All of this slams the door, puts up a hurdle in the faces of those who actually would be interested in knowing more about the Lord. But the sad thing again is these are counterfeits. These are imposters. When you look at the word hypocrite, when you dig into the original language, what it really means, it means to be an actor, 
person who wears a mask. They play a part. They're an imposter. They're a pretender. And so it hurts our heart to know that a lot of the criticism of I don't want to be a Christian because there's a bunch of hypocrites has been damage done by people who actually don't know the Lord. They're prosperity gospel people. They get caught, you know, doing things they shouldn't be doing. Immoral failures or just whatever. There's people out there who say they're Christians that aren't. And that's led some people astray because it's put up a hurdle. Now, genuine believers also have moments of hypocrisy. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's not forget that some of the people that are being pointed to as the hurdle actually don't know the Lord. And so if that's you or if that's someone you know, I think the biggest encouragement is as you focus on the message over the messenger, you've got to make sure you know where you're looking. Don't look to the, the imperfections of the people. Don't look at the flaws of the message. You've got to look to Christ. I want to show a picture of these guys running the hurdle, okay? Hurdle race. So they're running the hurdle race. I was on the end, but I got cropped out on accident. So <laughs> two observations. One, where are they looking? Two, where are they not looking? Okay, so let's look. First, where are all these guys looking? Straight ahead. And they're looking beyond the hurdle that's in front of them. So what aren't they looking at? They're not looking at the hurdle. They're not looking at the hurdle. See, hypocrisy becomes a big barrier when all people do is they look at the hurdle. They look at what's in front, and that's when you get top-heavy. That's when you get off balance. That's when you trip. You just got to keep your eyes up and look at what's coming next. Look at what's beyond the hurdle. And so for the person who's struggling with hypocrisy and, and not coming to Christ because of the hypocrisy of people who call themselves Christians, our encouragement to you is don't look at the hurdle. Don't look at their lives that carefully. You've got to look up. You've got to look to who Jesus is. Get into the Gospels. Look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read what Jesus taught. Look what he says. Look at God's heart as demonstrated through the words of Christ, through the life of Christ. And when you look up, you'll see the cross. And you'll see the beauty of how much God loves you. And you'll see the empty tomb and the power of God to, to bring you into relationship and forgiveness. And so you can't be looking down at the hurdles. You've got to be looking up and beyond. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking to who? Jesus. Looking to Jesus, who's the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You've got to look at the gospel and the central figure of the gospel more than the people who are trying to live the gospel. And so you have to, you have to put the emphasis there. And when you understand the gospel, you understand the good news that, that although we're sinners, although we deserve God's judgment, he's made a way through Christ and through the resurrection. And so as you fix your eyes on Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his life, who he is, what he's done, it helps you clear the hurdle. And so it helps you focus on the message more than the messengers. Now, this doesn't mean that believers are off the hook. This doesn't mean that we get to, um, you know, get a pass on this because there's a big warning here for those who profess to be Christian. Because the Pharisees were both religious and unsaved, it'd be very easy for us to be deceived and convinced that if we're religious, we're also saved, when in reality we can be unsaved. And so instead of trusting in Jesus, there are still people out there that think they're good with God because of religious works, do good works, go to church, donate money, help people, do nice things, all good. That's all good. It's just not evidence. 
of a saving relationship with Jesus. And so some of us might actually be a Pharisee when we think we're a disciple. There's just a couple thoughts to maybe think that through in your own life. You might be a Pharisee if you do not practice what you preach on a regular basis. This is, the, this is a definition of your life. It's not, it's not a moment of failure. This is just how your life is summed up. You don't practice what you preach on a regular basis. Faith in words only, no action. Or maybe you're more about works than God's grace. These are all things that were true of the Pharisees, right? You practice your faith only for others to see. When people are around, ooh, now you're uber serious, you love Jesus, but then when people aren't, there's no Jesus. You're not reading the Bible when no one's looking. You're not praying when no one's looking. You're not trusting God when no one's looking, only when people are looking. Or your faith is more about spiritual image management than true transformation, letting God work his transformation out. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Or you freely point out the sins of others while covering up your own. Or you rationalize and justify your sin rather than confess it and repent of it. Or you judge other people by their sin, but you judge yourself by your intentions. This is one of the very things we do when we're in a pharisaical mindset. Or you're not loving, or you're not compassionate, or you're not merciful, or you're not caring. Sometimes the biggest issue is not what we say, but how we say it. I mean, there's times when you go online, you start scrolling through social media, and you're going, ah, you look at a brother or sister in Christ, and you both want to hug them and hit them, right? Because you're going like, what you say I agree with, the way you just said it isn't helping. You just threw up a hurdle, or 10, because you're not loving, you're not caring, you're not compassionate, you're not gracious, you're just militant. You're, you're, you're an agitator rather than a person to come and, and glorify Christ by being a person of spirit and truth. Or you keep people from the grace of God and faith in Jesus. Maybe the win is if I can just get them to my church, they're good. Well, let's get them to church, but that doesn't make them good. Only Jesus can make them good because only Jesus gets us to a place where we can say, Jesus saved me from who I was and he's still working on me to make me who he wants to be. And so we got to get to that place. So genuine Christians know that to deal with hypocrisy, we got to keep coming to the hurdles that we come up and go, this hurdle's temporary. It's somewhat, it's, you know, I was this different person, but now I'm still being made into someone different. This hurdle might not show up in the future. And so we keep understanding we've got to clear those hurdles by focusing on the message of Christ, not the messengers. Also, the second way we can clear the hurdles is focusing more on internal transformation than external demonstration. Unfortunately, the argument of hypocrisy has risen to where it's just all about behavior. It's just all about what you see on the outside, how you vote, what you say, what you do. It's been politicized. It's been racialized. It's been denominationalized and all this other stuff. Instead of like digging to the heart, digging to what's really going on inside. And this is, Jesus goes after this with precision. Look at verses 25 through 28 in Matthew 23. Again, a lot of verses there. I'm going to go back and look at them back. But he gets the heart of the matter here. Verse 25, woe to you, right? Like watch out scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first, now he's inviting them into repentance, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. You also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so Jesus gets to the heart of hypocrisy, focusing on the externals rather than the internals, having the right information, but not living out the transformation, uh, focusing on behavior instead of living out belief. And so we're starting to live in contradiction in this place. 
And as Jesus calls these Pharisees and scribes out and calls them hypocrites, he's revealing the reason for their hypocrisy. They're working hard on their image, but not on their transformation. That it's the heart that is at stake. And inside their hearts is greed. It's the desire to live for themselves. And then Jesus uses a couple of really gross examples. Dirty dishes. And look at the plate. You work really hard on cleaning the outside, but inside you've got like weeks old of leftover meals, right? It's dirty. It's yucky. It's like a cup. On the outside it looks great. On the inside it's nasty. The other day I was up in my office, wanted a little coffee. Reached for my coffee cup and looked inside and just about wanted to like, you know, run, okay? There was some green creature, you know, coming out of that cup. Should have named the thing, you know, put on a collar and called him like, you know, Mossy or whatever. But man, what did I do with that thing? I had a beeline for our little red water spigot here to boil the snot out of whatever that thing was. It was like, ah, it was dying in my cup. Why? Because that inside of my cup's going to be clean before I have any coffee. And so we got to work on the inside, but we focus on the outside. And he looks at tombs. And there's a little bit of a disconnect for us culturally, but if you were to go to Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, if you look at the Mount of Olives, it looks white, just white. Why? Because the custom at the time was they actually put their tombs above the ground, not below the ground. And so you'll see um, all these whitewashed boxes over the whole landscape, and they've got a lid on them. Okay? And Jesus, who knows, Jesus might have actually pointed to the Mount of Olives and said, you're like whitewashed tombs. And you look pretty on the outside, but if we were to peel back that lid, whoo, there's some dead, gross stuff in there. He says, you're so focused on the external that you're neglecting the internal. And he's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to say, work on the inside. Look on the inside. Augustine, the fourth century theologian, said the problem with the hypocrite is his motivation. He does not want to be holy. He only wants to seem to be holy. He's more concerned with his reputation for righteousness than actually about becoming righteous. See, hypocrites suffer from a chronic disconnect between what's on the inside and what's going on on the outside. And the thing is, is if we're going to be honest with ourselves, everybody tries to make the outside of the cup look good. All of us hide all that self-indulgence and greed and all this stuff. We all hide it. And then we try to portray an image. We all do it whether we know Jesus or not. You don't have to go further than social media to see this, right? Like, we all try to portray an image. I'm going to take a picture 10 times and put the best one up because I want you to see me at my best, right? I want you to see what an amazing mom, dad, friend I am. Look at this cool experience I'm having. Look at how much value and worth I have. I won this award. And there's this line that we cross between just inviting people to celebrate good things and now trying to portray this image you want everybody to buy. We've got to paint this picture. I've got to be this whitewashed person, even though if they were to look inside my life, they would see something different. And so we do the hashtag blessed highlight reel when we really should have hashtag mess. Because we're all a mess. We're all a mess. What if our social media just randomly grabbed moments from our life and posted it without us knowing it's coming? <laughs> and then put hashtag mess on that, right? That'd probably be a little bit more realistic. We all hide. We all hide. We're all a mess. And a hypocrite will put on the mask. But Jesus helps us take the mask off. He helps us live in transparency. When you start to have internal transformation, you know what part of it comes out? Transparency. Transparency. Hey, look. I'm not who I was because Jesus has fixed that, but he's still working on me. I'm not yet who he's making me to be. And there's going to be moments of failure in the middle. And we fail in the middle. There's moments where we put the hurdle up or other people's mistakes put the hurdle up for us. And so we look at that. And oftentimes we forget the nature of the gospel. 
We, we you know, misunderstand, and people who don't know Jesus misunderstand the goal of the gospel. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came because bad people can't be good without him. And so we understand the gospel. Right? My only hope is Jesus. So yes, Jesus saves me from who I was. Thank God. But he's still making me who he wants me to be. He's still chiseling, forging, crafting, molding, chipping away at my life to make me who he wants to be. So thank God, I'm not the hypocrite I was. And by the grace of God and by the power of Jesus, I won't be the hypocrite tomorrow that I was today. Constantly being worked on. And we can rest in that peace and that knowledge. And so true disciples of Jesus have been saved from who we were. And we're still being sanctified in the process, being refined. But that should never make us comfortable with sin. If we're going to be super transparent, one of the nauseating things that we all share is when people feel the freedom to live in sin and then dismiss it or pretty it up. They blow it and they put the hurdle up and then going, uh, I'm just going to decorate the hurdle. Some streamers and some balloons, we'll paint it up, you know, paint some flowers on there. We'll make the hurdle look pretty, now it's not there. Guess what? It can still trip people up. Or we blame the hurdle on someone else, you know? It's my dad. The way my dad, see, the hurdle's for my dad, not for me. And so it's what my mom did, or it's what my boss did. And we blame it on other people instead of going, nope, it's all me. <laughs> I'm the one that, you know, raised this up. It's my behavior, my choices. I've got no excuse. It's just here. But... By the grace of God and by the power of Christ, this hurdle might not be here tomorrow or the next day or the next month or the next year because Jesus is still working on us. There's hope. See, for the person who doesn't know Christ, what hope do you have to get out of your hypocrisy? I'm just going to try harder. That'll move the needle a little bit. It just won't solve the problem. And there's no future hope. But at least for the believer, we have hope in our hypocrisy. We're just not the hypocrites we were. By the grace of God, as we continue to let him work on the inside of the cup, we're not going to be the hypocrites that we could be tomorrow. And so there's hope. And that process is going to continue until one day we're face-to-face with Jesus. We should understand the reality of the hopelessness of the person who's trying to resolve their own hypocrisy, but then one day we'll be face-to-face with Jesus and going, I gave you a way out, you never took it. And the person who has Christ, who Christ says, not happy about some of those moments, but you're in me, I love you, you're in. (laughs) You know, you've allowed me to work on you but we've got to avoid the practice of sin. 1 John 3, verses 4 through 7 says this. Everyone who makes a practice, everyone say practice. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, in order to take away sins. Keynote, no one else takes away sins, right? No one else takes away sins. And in him, Jesus, there's no sin. So it's only Jesus who's perfect, right? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Everyone say keeps on. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. In our efforts to pretty up the hurdle, in our efforts to blame the hurdle, so that we can continue in sin, we fail to understand that God is never okay with our sin. He paid for it. He's redeemed it for those who are in faith, but he's never okay with it. And so there's this huge caution for us when we hear people say things like this. You know what? I know I messed up, but I'm forgiven. Oh, I messed up, but, you know, I said this prayer years ago, so I'm covered. What we see here is that the person who keeps on practicing sin, they're perfecting their sin. They're getting better and better at it. There's no repentance. There's no remorse. 
There's no moving the needle of living more holy when it's just, I've got Jesus, now he gives me a free pass to sin it up. Got news for you, you're not going to get biblical support for that. It's not there. Because what's happening is, and if you don't know that, just open up the book of 1 John and read that little time. You can read it in like less than an hour, right? You can read it in less than half an hour maybe. 1 John, what you real quickly see is the person who's always practicing unrepentant, unyielding sin actually doesn't know Christ. They don't know Christ. And I think at that point, we start to see a delineation between a hypocrite who's stuck in hypocrisy and never grows and the believer who has hypocritical moments. The believer has hypocritical failures, but is still continuing to grow. But the person who keeps on sinning, who keeps on practicing sin, there's reason there to go, you might not actually know the Lord. We have to make that delineation, and we don't get a pass. We can't walk all over the grace that God's given us to be free of sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound. Another way to think of that, can we just abuse grace? Can we just cheapen grace? Can we just, you know, take the grace that God's given? Hey, thanks for dying on the cross. Free pass to send it up? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Hey, there's a difference between living in sin and then occasionally revisiting a place you used to live. It's different. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in, finish it with me, newness of life. And Jesus saved us from who we were. And Jesus is still working on us to make us who he wants us to be. So yeah, there's hypocrisy, but if you're growing in Christ, there's less and less and less hypocrisy. And one day, one day, when God restores all things, guess what? There'll be no hypocrisy ever. And we're leaning into that day. And so we can't be proclaiming new life in Christ while we're still living the old life in self. And I think as we process that, we have to remember no sin is a secret sin. People talk about like, oh, they've got secret sins. Well, A, God sees every secret. So when we've convinced ourselves that nobody's watching, there is always the Lord watching. And here's what the Lord does. Oftentimes, not only do we know it's revealed for him always, but then there's times he reveals it before man. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 10.9. He who walks uh, in integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. And so if we continue to go down the wrong paths, inevitably God will bring it to light for people to see at that point in time, it becomes a hurdle that we've tripped on, and then it becomes a hurdle that others trip on. I want to show you an image that grabbed me as I was just looking at hurtling images. It was this one. I just feel that guy's pain. There's something so disheartening about that. And here's the thing. If, if we trip and fall, we've got to get back up and keep running. We, we, we have all these videos and historical moments where people that were running a race fell and they got back up and they finished the race. And we oftentimes admire them more than the person who got first place. But I think what pains me about this image so if I don't live in constant sanctification, constant you know, growth in, as Christ works on the inside of the cup of my life, what happens is that's going to be my neighbor. It's going to be my coworker or my boss. It's going to be my friends or my extended family. And here's what's even more terrifying. Parents, if I can live in continued hypocrisy, that's my son. That's my daughter. 
That's my spouse. The people closest to us, my life has become a hurdle that they're going to trip and fall on. And I contributed to whatever pain, bruises, injuries in that moment. Now, it's between them and God to get back up and keep running and keep their eyes where it needs to be. That's between them and God. But still should pain us to go, if we put up a hurdle that caused that in one's life, this should convict us to the heart and make us run to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I put that hurdle up. And run to those people and say, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? It was wrong what I did. It was wrong what I said. God's still working on me. Would you forgive me? Would you walk with me? Would you pray with me? And if you mean business, if you're a believer in Christ and you mean business, not only will you confess to the Lord, not only will you confess to the people that you've hurt, but at some point, you're going to bring two or three other people in. You're going to peel back the lid of the grave. You're going to show them the inside of the cup. You're going to go, I need you to pray for me for this. I've been asking you to pray about the little spots on the outside of the cup. Now I need you to pray for the yuck inside the cup. I need you to pull back the lid and say, this is the dead, gross me that Jesus is bringing to life. But I've been asking you to pray for shallow things, so I need you to pray for this thing. If you really mean business, then you'll do that. And I'll do that. That's how we fight hypocrisy. I'll tell you right now, people might not believe in Jesus yet, but when they see believers in Christ being transparent and real, that's a lot more compelling than when we dismiss and hide and, and, and throw up the hurdles and then, Excuse them away. We have to be business with the hurdles that we're throwing up in the lives of others. So two comments I want to make on this as we start to turn the corner here. One, what about CVC? Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you're watching online. You've never been here. You're thinking about checking us out. What about this church and where do we stand on hypocrisy? A couple things. One, if you're looking for a church of near perfect people that really have it together, please keep looking for another church. Because we are hashtag mess. <laughs> we love Jesus. We can stand boldly and say, thank God that Jesus has saved me from who I was, the hypocrite that I was here, and thank God he's still making me who he wants me to be. But just so you know, you're kind of meet me in the middle. <laughs> and you're going to see some stuff that God's still working on. And if you're okay with being around some other people that are going to be honest about that, then maybe you found a new church home. You say, we're okay to be, not be okay. <laughs> as long as we're leaning into who Jesus is and what he's done. The second thing is if you're looking for a church that's going to all be all about making you feel warm and fuzzy and give you a pass on sin and be like, oh, it's okay, you've got to keep looking for another church because we're going to preach the word of God and the word of God is not okay with that. And we have to call all of us to repentance and confession. In a moment, I'm going to ask some of you to do something very difficult. We're going to see if you mean business. This is, like, this is a moment of like, okay, I, there's things I have in my life I need to just be honest about. So maybe if you're okay with letting God work on you while others have been worked on, being open and transparent, then maybe you found your new church home. Because God's not okay with sin, so we're not going to be okay with sin either because we're all hypocrites. (laughs) And we all need a Savior. We all fall short. We're all broken. We're all needing Christ. If you want to clear this hurdle, (laughs) focus on the message. Don't focus on the messenger. Focus on internal transformation, not external demonstration. That helps us all clear this hurdle of hypocrisy, and we don't want hypocrisy being a hurdle of people coming to Christ. We want everybody to understand and say and declare, Jesus has saved me from who I was, and he's making me who he wants me to be.
two questions I want you guys to think about <clears throat> as, you're, as we get ready to move into a time of prayer. One, what hurdle has kept you from coming to Christ? Maybe you're here today, you're watching online, and you're like, uh, okay, I get it. I'm responsible for my life. I can't get fixated on other people's life. And maybe you're ready to leap the hurdle of whatever it is that's kept you from Christ. Maybe today you take that first step of belief and faith and trust in Jesus. The second is, what hurdle have you put up to discourage others? Whether that's someone in your home, next to your home, in your workplace, in your community, your circle of influence, what hurdle have you put up? And are you ready to ask Jesus to continue to help you knock it down and never see it pop up again? Never have to jump, the joy of never having to jump over that hurdle again. So here's what I want to do. I want to close in a time of prayer. I just want to lead us through time of just coming to the Lord. So I want to invite you just to pray with me. You're welcome to bow your head, close your eyes. We want this to be a time we're focusing on God. We're looking to Him. So I invite you to pray with me. Well, Father, uh, we know this is just a drop in the bucket of your word and what you've said on this. Lord, I pray you've taken the brief amount of time that we've touched on it, and you've done something with it, Father. And Lord, just with the united spirit, united heart, with my brothers and sisters in Christ, we admit that great hypocrisy has been done in your name. That for centuries, people have been hurt, killed, abused under the banner of Christianity. Lord, we know that those people weren't developing your kingdom. They were trying to build their own empires. But Lord, it doesn't take away the pain that's been done in society. So Father, we ask for your forgiveness on their behalf. Father, for our church community, for the people that call CDC home, we ask for forgiveness for the times that we have allowed our sin, our lifestyle, our words to be a hurdle for other people. God, would you forgive us of that? Lord, I stand before my brothers and sisters and I confess, I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've thought things I shouldn't have thought. Lord, would you forgive me? God, may my life, my lips never put a hurdle up for my wife and my kids. Lord, I know it has. Lord, help me knock that hurdle down. Only you can knock it down, Lord. We need you. We can't see hypocrisy purged without you. So we need you. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a chance to do something bold and brave. We're in prayer. This is between you and God. I'm not going to be looking for you, call anything out, but if this is a message where God is doing something in your heart and life, you know that there's been a hurdle that maybe you've put up in the lives of others, I want to invite you just to stand. This is a way that you can declare that you mean business, that you're not going to hide, that you're going to peel back the lid, you're going to tip the cup, and let, let God see, let God see what's in there. It's your way of saying, Lord, this is my mess. You already know it's there, but I need to do something. I just invite you to stand right now with me. I'm standing. Just stand with me right now if that's you, just saying there's something in my life I need God to really do. I need to confess this. I need to repent of this. I need God to do something with this area of my life. And right now, I invite you just to talk to the Lord. Just talk to the Lord. You can pray silently. You can murmur under your breath. You can say it out loud. Would you take a few minutes and talk to the Lord and confess that and pray a prayer of repentance for that? Just take that before the Lord right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, please knock down these hurdles so that we don't trip on them, so our loved ones don't trip on them. God, if this is something we've come to you before, may this time be different somehow. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ, may there be a fresh tenacity, 
fresh level of seriousness and surrendering to you. Clean the inside of our cups, Lord. Purge us from this hypocrisies, Father, we ask. And while we're all standing, I want to invite another group to stand. That might be you today. If you've never given your life to Christ, I just invite you to stand right now with us. Just come to God. Just stand and say, I mean, I'll let other people's hurdles stop me from believing, but not, not anymore today. You can just stand as a declaration of your belief in Jesus. The step of trust to the Lord. And you can just pray something like this, dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> I've been too busy looking at other people's hypocrisy. I didn't see my own. And so I know you love me. I know Jesus offers forgiveness. So right now, I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave so that I could have forgiveness and heaven. And right now I believe. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me from who I was. Begin making me into who you want me to be. Father, take these prayers and offer in the name of Jesus. May they glorify you. And may they help us. And may they help those who need to believe. In Jesus' name, we all said together. I invite everybody to stand. We're going to close singing. You may or may not know this song, but I encourage you to sing out as you start to pick up on the lyrics. It's a declaration of needing the Lord in this area. And if you came to Christ today, if you stood up that last time, the next step for you would be to take that response card that you have, mark on there, I'm giving my life to Christ. In a few minutes, there's baskets that are going to be coming around. Put them in the baskets. If you miss the basket, just take them out to the foyer. If you're online, you can send an email at connect at cvconline.org and just say, I gave my life to Christ. And we want to follow up with you and tell you how to grow in this relationship with Jesus. In the meantime, let's clear all the hurdles that others have put in front of us and the hurdles that we've put up in front of others. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing.